Hello and welcome to Sunday Messages with Fairmount Friends Church. We're so glad that you are joining us. You can find out more on www.fairmountfriendschurch.org. Here's Pastor Andrew Hailed. Kaylin's bringing the message this morning. So, I wanted to bring Kaylin up front just to show her off. Um, she is so close. Yeah, hey Dale. She is so close to crawling. She's like right on the precipice. She'll go one or two and fall over. One or two and fall over. She's really good at army crawling. Um, before that, she was really good at crawling backwards. We didn't teach her that. She just is that talented, aren't you? Yes, you are. So I just wanted to show her off, so I'm going to pass her off to Mama here. There's something about family, right? There's something about a church family. And that's where I want to go this morning. Is Yes, it's IYM Sunday, Indiana Yearly Meeting Sunday. We're going to spend some time talking through some of those pieces. But with that, is there a piece of family that is potentially connected to a yearly meeting or to a church or even to maybe we've had a rough upbringing or we have a rough background or we have an upbringing or a parent that's not in our life anymore. Maybe they've abused, maybe there's whatever it's been. God has a family idea that is better than what we have experienced. And we get to taste a little bit of it potentially sometimes here on a Sunday and there's something about Kaylin that has just changed me in so many ways that I see, and maybe there's ways that I haven't seen yet. You know, I've seen where I'm softer and gentler. Mike, Mike's nodding his head there. But I've also seen areas where I've been stronger and fiercer, at least in my head. I'm like, man, if somebody says this about my kid, this is what I'm going to say back. Um, but the way I've developed as a person, as an individual, as a pastor, as a person in our community, the way I've developed is because of my family, is leaps and bounds from where I would be if I were doing my own thing, if I were off doing my own whatever. And honestly, I shudder to think about what I would be doing. You know, where would I be if I wasn't here? What would I be doing if I didn't change my major in college? If I didn't do that thing, or if I did do that thing, where might I be? We can get into those what-if scenarios, right? And we're going to talk about some more of that here towards the end of our time today. But as we have this concept of family, whatever comes to mind, again, God has something different or better in mind than even if we have the best home life. He still has something more or better or another word of encouragement, another thing that he has done that we haven't thanked him for. There's something about not being alone. And that's why in Genesis 2, verse 18, it'll be on the wall here, so that the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And I don't want to take this out of context and apply it to whatever I feel like, but I think there's significance to God saying, man, humanity cannot, should not, will not be alone, that we're in this thing together. And I think, what a suitable partnership that Jessica and I have. We complement each other well. We're similar in some ways. We love to cook and bake together. We love to clean dishes together. We just do a lot of things together. 
And I think she is a rock star. She's not in here, so I can say that about her. No, I tell her that. And I'm grateful, right? I have this covenant marriage. I have this covenant relationship. I'm in this committed family environment that is just amazing. And, you know, growing up, I I grew up with a healthy family, I guess I'd say. I I grew up with two parents. They're still together. I grew up with a heavily involved, extended family, even to the extent of families that are further reaching than extended. You know, maybe those family reunions we're not sure if we want to go to, but we go anyway. But I was involved with a church. I got to go to VBS and Sunday school, and I went to church camp. We had family functions. I was involved with multiple sports, 4-H, helped on the farm, and I wouldn't trade that upbringing for anything. But I honestly didn't realize until my parents were dropping me off at Purdue, at college, when we were actually hugging goodbye, I was like, hold on, this is, this is it. This is happening. They're going to go home, and I'm going to be left here. I'm going to be here. I don't have a car. I don't have a way to go home unless I call them and ask them to come. Give me. And even I was actually, a couple of days later, I realized, I don't actually know anybody here on campus at all. Like, you know, you go, to, you go to a college or you go off to whatever education or maybe you go into the workforce and you get an apartment with a buddy or a friend and you find out they're a terrible roommate. Um, but, but I was dropped off at my dorm and we unloaded, got things set up, and they were going to leave. And as I went to hug them, I'm already feeling kind of defeated, kind of scared. And I go to hug them, and I start tearing up, getting emotional. I'm like, oh, my gosh, come on. That only makes me feel even more like I'm not ready. I'm only even more inadequate for what's about to come. Because that family, that structure, that safe place, that environment that I had grown up in, that place where I could hang out, that place that I could soak in, it was being taken away. That's what it felt like, at least. And I felt like I had been a part of a body. I was a part of this human body, if you will, follow the imagery there. And I was being taken apart from that and then said, go find another body to be a part of, to latch onto. And for me, I have a tendency, and maybe you do too, I don't know, but I have a tendency to try to keep a hold of something that I know or knew so that way when this new thing, whatever I'm going into, I'm like, well, if, if it doesn't work out or... I'm not sure what to say. I'll always have this to fall back on. Or this is what I can always resort to if I don't know how to continue with a conversation. I think maybe we have those things that we always talk about, the weather, um, sports, um, whatever's going on in the world. But I have a tendency to hold on to those things, to have a familiar landing pad. And so I latched on to, when I was at Purdue, I latched on to someone that I kind of knew, I kind of had a relationship, I kind of really only knew his name, um, but I knew him through a connection that I had through Western Yearly Meeting. And so Western Yearly Meeting was the wider association of churches uh, that my hometown church was connected to. Jessica, you're a rock star. I told everybody in here, I made sure you knew it as well. Um, and that, that person I latched on to uh, his name was Ethan Hall. So Ethan, if you ever watch this, hey man. Um, but he mentored me. He, I didn't realize what I was doing when I said, hey Ethan, do you remember me? Could I come hang out with you? And he's like, sure, yeah. And I, I didn't realize when I made that phone call what a moment that was. And oftentimes, 
it's not often we know that a significant moment is coming. It's oftentimes you're like, wow, that was huge. That was a big thing. You know, that person said that to me or I said that to them. But he, he mentored me. He raised me in the faith. I didn't realize he was connected to a ministry. And so I was tossed head first into this thing like, okay, I got to go share the gospel now. What? That's weird. Nobody does that. You're going to walk up to somebody in Memorial Mall and start up a conversation. I can't even talk to you about anything, not to mention a stranger. But he showed me how to open up. He showed me how to share and to speak and that it's good and it's okay. It's good to be open and honest. It's good to do these things. It was possible to be a Christian and to have fun. That it was possible to not latch on to the stereotypical college experience, whatever comes to mind for you for that. But that Jesus offers freedom. That Jesus offers another way to live. There's a different way to do it. There's a better way to do it. I can be super smart. I can know exactly how to handle a situation. And maybe I handle it amazingly. Is it possible that God has a better way? I think the answer is yes. And I think the other thing that he pointed out to me that he showed me and demonstrated is that Jesus offers a family of believers. Jesus offers people to become unified with, to latch onto, to be a part of a church family. And that Jesus offers a broader church family. 1 Corinthians 12 12 through 20 reads, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So have you ever thought about, okay, if, if the church, the people are a body of Jesus, what body part are you? Somebody, somebody once told me I was an elbow. I, th- I think that's a compliment. Maybe you're a big toe. You know, I don't know. Um, But the body of Christ, right, we work together. We work together towards a common goal. We work together towards what we want to be. So as I think about my home life, where do I want my family to be? What do I want us to do? What do I want? What's the vision that I have for the family underneath the house that I am leading? Same for our church family. Where as a church family are we headed? Are we headed to fill pews? That's a cool byproduct, but I think we're headed to something more, something deeper, something different than getting people's butts in seats. And I wanted to bring this up, this, this next part up, because I used to think that when you're up front with a church, um, because people have had rough or bad or terrible experiences with their family, Maybe we shouldn't use that term, or we shouldn't use that word, because it might turn them off to Jesus. 
Like, I don't want to be part of a family. What I understand a family to be is not something I want to duplicate. I don't want to live through that again. And so sometimes we're turned off by those words. We're turned off by these wounds that we have taken on and even owned or become personifications of because we've allowed them to define us. But what ought to have been is much better than what we believe or what we have experienced. And if we shy away from what God is inspiring us to become, what Jesus is calling us to be as a church family, if we shy away from that, what we actually do is we're stunting who Jesus is. We are limiting what he could be. And I think what I tried to do is, is I would try to hide a little bit of Jesus away from people in order to help them not be overwhelmed by who Jesus claims to be. I would want to put Jesus on a leash and kind of hold him back because I would think, people can't handle this. So let me try and help them handle it a little bit better. So I was inserting myself between them and Jesus. And let's not get mixed up. Jesus is more than capable of handling those relationships. He's more than capable of handling that pain or that frustration or that wound that we've experienced, whatever it might be, whether it's about a family, a father, a sibling, a relative, a friend, a stranger online. Jesus is capable and much more capable than you or I. Growing up, I enjoyed basketball. Pastor Brock's eyes perked up there. I enjoyed basketball. And as we all would do, I would count down the clock, got the ball in my hand, waiting for that last second to shoot. Nobody's around. Go up, and I missed a lot more than I made it. But wait, there's more time. There's more time on the clock. Nobody knows what's going on. Oh my gosh, one more shot. And he missed again. Oh my gosh, the, the clock operator is nowhere to be found. He's out of the stadium. So much time is left. Shoot, and it would go in. Oh my gosh, yeah. One in the shot. Nobody knew what was going to happen. Pandemonium in the stands. Wildness took place. And Andrew walked away the victor, no matter how many times he missed. And then my sister would want to come out and play, and she'd want to take part, and she couldn't have the last second shot. That was for me. And I won't name her, but I'll throw under the bus a little bit. She didn't understand how to do a layup in the sense of you could run up and like lift your leg and toss it up there. She had to always jump stop and then throw it up. Like, no, just float. Just do it. She did never understand. Um, and then my dad would come out, and he would help us work through our free throws. Free throws are important. Uh, Purdue basketball needs to work on their free throw shooting. They always have. Come on, Matt Painter. But my dad would help us work on our free throws. And you know, there's that routine. You, you got to figure out what your routine is. Anybody have a basketball free throw routine that you always did? Yep. Tracy does back there. Tracy, you want to come show it? No. All right. Well, I'll demonstrate mine. Um, so I always had this routine, you know, throw it behind the back. No, I would always go one, two, three, and then put it up. And it would, I, was, I was an okay free throw shooter. If I shot consistently enough or I shot 100, I'd make 10 out of 10 <laughs> within the space of where I missed 90 other shots. But it was 
in the midst of going through this practice of free throws that my sister was up to shoot, and I was ready to hit the last second shot. Like, come on, sister. I almost said her name. Come on, sister. Let's get this shot going. Let's get these free throws done so I can go back to making the game-winning shots. And so I went ahead and told her, come on, hurry up. And it was in that moment, I got a look from my father, and it was in that moment that I had the heart of a teacher, suddenly. And I said, but take your time. Because when you're taking your free throws, you don't want to rush it, right? You don't want to just go up there and just throw something up. But you also don't want to take forever either. So in real time, this is what took place. All right, so she's shooting or she's dribbling. I'm over here. And I said, hurry up, but take your time. I don't remember if she made the shot or not. But that's a phrase that we continue to use in my family from time to time as a reference back to how I handled the sudden development of the heart of a teacher. Anybody ever have those moments like, oh, I just said that, uh, but, but here's, this, here's this to kind of help soften maybe what I was trying to say. And so for my, both of my sisters, as I've gotten older, I've developed a deeper affection, a deeper affinity for each of them, and I desire to be close with my sisters, and I'm grateful for that. But I think the same development is true as we plug into a church family. Maybe as we get involved, and it doesn't necessarily have to mean you do all of the, you know, the meals and the life groups and Sunday school and you know, all of the churchy things that churches offer us to take part in. But as we plug into our church family, maybe as we develop relationship, as we develop maybe a, a connection where we're actually maybe becoming a part of that body, we develop an appreciation. We develop a love for one another. We desire to see each other become more like Jesus, and that flourishes when we approach one another with a family mentality. And so as we come into with Fairmount Friends, or maybe you're connected to another church somewhere, you know, when you come in, what are you looking for? Or when you have been coming in Sunday after Sunday, you continue to seek after that thing. And I would suggest that thing we're looking for is that connection, that thing to latch onto, that body that we are a part of. And as I was thinking about, you know, as we said earlier, there's, there's our media family, then the extended family, and then the family reunions that we may or may not like to go to. You know, you think about family reunions, anybody have an uncle who talks super loud? Or that great aunt who insists on making and bringing her own napkins? Or the cousin who's kind of weird, who's like, everybody just says, oh, that's just cousin Reggie. He just does his thing. And if nothing else, I'll go to a family reunion because the food's good. Like, it's homemade. It's enjoyable. Um, it's it's, it's got to be pretty good. And I think the same thought process maybe could be true for a yearly meeting, for Indiana yearly meeting specifically. Sometimes we're not sure what is this thing. You know, Pastor Brock or Andrew, they keep talking about this Indiana yearly meeting, IYM stuff. Like, okay, like, why, 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 how does that affect Fairmount? How does that affect Madison Grant? How does that affect my family or even me? Why are we talking about this thing again? Why do we even associate? We don't know each other. We're not connected. Why would we continue to be a part of something that we're not connected to? Maybe the food is worth being connected. Ephesians 4, 16 says, 
From him, Jesus, the whole body joins and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And it turns out if we took the chance to get to know or talk to that uncle who talked super loud, maybe we'd learn that he had grown up around farm equipment. And he has the work ethic that nary anybody can match. And there's wealth of knowledge and experience to pull from that guy. And maybe that great aunt with her napkin, she learned how to make those with her mother. And that's the closest connection she still has to her mom. Or maybe that cousin who's weird, he's got a unique perspective on the world that challenges our understanding of Jesus or what is normal in life, how we live. And maybe that gives us a new lens to draw from and to lean into. I think we can make a similar pivot back to Indiana Yearly Meeting. Maybe we don't know what it is. Maybe we don't even care very much. But if we peel back the separation that exists, we might see the larger church family, the extended church family, the family reunion type thought that we are historically connected to and remain connected to. So I want to share a few things about Indiana Yearly Meeting. Um, Indiana Yearly Meeting is 49 Friends churches, nine of which are in Grant County alone. And Indiana Yearly Meeting was established in 1821 and was the largest yearly meeting in the world for many years. I didn't know that. And there are 30 yearly meetings connected to Friends United Meeting that is an even further step that IYM is connected to at this time. And Indiana Yearly Meeting has a statement that says, everything we believe is IYM friends comes from our understanding of the teachings of Jesus Christ. The early friends sought to strip away everything from Christianity that wasn't based on the teaching of Jesus as taken from the New Testament. Jesus said, swear not at all, so friends refuse to take oaths. Jesus said, let your yes be yes, so friends have developed a reputation for integrity. Jesus said, love your enemies, so friends have attempted to be peacemakers. And the heart of the Quaker message, Quaker is another term for friends, is the heart of the Christian message. Jesus Christ has come to redeem mankind and sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in the hearts of men and women. A Quaker message that does not point towards Jesus is not really a Quaker message at all. And that was a quote from an Indiana friend. So I want to lay out a couple of ways that as Fairmount friends, we financially give, we also personally are involved with some of the decisions or some of the different programs or different things that Indiana Yearly Meeting puts on. And so um, there's, there's the youth ministry piece of what Indiana Yearly Meeting has a, a part of or it gets connected to. And so a lot of that flows through Quaker Haven Camp, summer camp at QHC, and that's a space to introduce children, introduce youth, even introduce adults to Jesus in unique and life-giving ways. And while at Quaker Haven, um, the emphasis is on building a faith community or a faith family, where lifelong friendships and maybe in a vision for how life, how a life sold out to Jesus could be lived. One of the quotes that we hear from students a lot is, you know, we're, we're at camp and we're separate from the real world. Well, is it possible that the environment that's created at camp is what the world could and even ought to be? Maybe that could be the real world. There's a camp planning team that works from September through May putting together the summer camp program. There's counselors, CIT, speakers, musicians, camp paws, and camp moths, people in all sorts of roles that help put 
youth ministry pieces in place. And that carries over into other events throughout the year, such as winter sneak and youth invasions. They also offer a summer internship that they get to work at Quaker Haven, as well as in some other ministry capacities where they learn hands-on practical learning in ministry, as well as in leadership development that they can employ elsewhere. There's also connections that Indiana Year of the Meeting offers for youth workers, opportunities for youth workers to attend conferences and network with one another. Second piece I want to talk about is the missions that Indiana Year of the Meeting has us connected. So as we talked about last week um, with the Pasmino family being here, they are a, a ministry team that we support uh, as Fairmount Friends. And with that, there's other ministries that Indiana Yearly Meeting has us connected to on a larger scale, on a more global scale, that we get to be a part of through the giving that we do to Indiana Yearly Meeting. And the purpose of the missions is to seek multiplication of disciples of Jesus until there is no place left, no corner, no stone unturned. And they do that through pursuing healthy and reciprocal partnerships, prioritizing training and empowerment and mobilizing of mission partners above just supportive material projects. So to mobilize the people there on the ground that live there that are part of that community already. They also seek to use financial resources to preserve local ownership and initiative while avoiding long-term support and dependence. So the thought of give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. Teach a man to fish, eat for a lifetime. They also support leadership training and education opportunities in Tanzania and Kenya, as well as specifically to Friends Theological College, which is in Kenya. And they're also working to help launch a new Kenyan couple as they work in Tanzania to plant a church among every tribe in the country of Tanzania. They're also in the midst of initiating a partnership with a, a space in northern India that has a population of 99.7% non-Christian. They're also working on a new associate membership with Evangelical Friends Mission, which is on the same level as FUM as far as global scale. And they're working to help set proactive goals to reach unreached people. Another piece of IYM is leadership development. So this is for youth and adults. So they help with pastoral searches. That was a part of the reason I landed here at Fairmount, was through that connection through Pat Byers. Grateful for that. And they also offer crisis intervention. So if you're dealing with something as a church or as a leadership team, they can come in and not just solve all the problems, but to come alongside and talk through what maybe would be scriptures that help, what are things that could be assistance for you. They've also got growth grants that energize and enable a monthly meeting or a church to take steps for greater impact in their community. Another piece is pastoral training. And so this is the recording process, and it's in a rigorous adventure that allows individuals to gain experience and training. And it helps to ensure those recognized by IYM are solid in their faith and their doctrine, teaching, serving, shepherding, and listening as they're serving in their different local monthly meetings, communities, and churches. They also offer retreats and short courses and pastor gatherings and adult curriculum that are made available for uh, churches within the yearly meeting. And we also support retired ministers. And so if you are a minister who is now retired um, and are connected to Indiana Yearly Meeting, there's some support there that is offered as a way to help pastors celebrate and enjoy retirement through the recognition of their faithful and fruitful life of ministry. And one other piece they, they ask that we make sure is communicated is they're working towards enhancing their communications, whether it's through technology or through just interaction 
And so they've developed some of those pieces as well. So there's a pie graph that we'll throw up here just for a moment, just to get a picture. And it's, yeah, that's not legible. Um, so as I talk through the different pieces, um, there's different amounts that are, as we financially give, they break it down into these different categories that are then used to support the different pieces that I just walked through. And so we as a church family, we are connected to our larger body of friends, but even further than that, of believers in Indiana Yearly Meeting. And while we may not know them, maybe not realize we're connected to them, we could have even passed them in the grocery store and didn't know that we're connected to them. But it's kind of like that family reunion thought. Perhaps there's more out there than what we see at first glance. Perhaps there's more in that than what we initially are keeping ourselves at a distance from. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Brock shared a message on dreams, and he's going to continue that series as he expressed. But with the question that I really took away is, what has God put in you to do? What has God put in you to do? There's passions, there's desires, there's things that you do in your life. There's things that maybe you desire to do, and you've put on the back burner or even cast aside because you're like, I just can't do that. I don't have any idea how to do that. I don't have any way to make this take place Why even try or put in the effort? I love to ask questions that make you think, make you wonder, uh, make you consider like, oh, I haven't thought about that. What What do you think about that? And sometimes we get into that what if zone, like we mentioned at the start of our message. What if the pandemic never ends? What if my child hits her head on the corner of a table and gets brain damage? What if I die? Will my family be okay? And I think that those are wise questions, questions we need to consider, but questions we cannot allow to consume us, questions that can pull us away, distract us from where Jesus is at. Because I think those are questions that are fed to us by the enemy. They're fear-mongering, anxiety-inducing questions that can have health out of them, but in themselves can create fear and uncertainty in us as well. But what I'm talking about are questions like, if you had a day to yourself to do anything you want, Take a moment here and seriously think this question. If you could do anything you wanted for a day, go anywhere, do anything, money's no object, time's not necessarily a factor, what would you do or what would you say or what would you do? If you could spend that day. If you could spend one more day with a person no longer living, who would that person be? What would you say? What would you ask? Even questions like, if I put $100 into a compound interest account every month, how much money is there going to be in 30 years? If you've done that math, if you haven't, go check it out. It's crazy. Or maybe even questions of, what do you think heaven's going to be like? I know that was something that uh, the, the Lachur and Small family were talking about um, around with, with the Leonard Kimes right before he passed. That was a conversation they were having, and I got to peek into that a little bit, just the health they had in the midst of that. It was wonderful. And again, I ask these questions because they get us thinking, they get us wondering, they get us like, well, I haven't thought about that, or man, I haven't thought about that in so long. What am I, you know, what would I do in that situation? What would I do to handle that? But they make us slow down, they make us consider the possibilities. Kind of like a funeral or memorial service might do. In Ecclesiastes 7.2, it says, Better to spend our time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies, so living should take this to heart. And I share that not to be like, ooh, but I share that to say 
there's significance. There's, there's something to learn. There's something about when we get serious, when we are realizing the significance of this life, this thing, we get one of them. What am I going to do with it? What am I going to do with it? And just this past week, Pastor Brock officiated a memorial service for the father of a church family member, and it was tough, and yet it was so good to reflect and remember and realize that perhaps we can take one more lesson from those that have passed on, that we get one shot at this thing. James 4.14 says, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes, or you're a vapor, and then it's gone. And there's something about being connected to a body, to a body of believers, to a church family that gives a little more meaning to some of these questions, that gives a little more significance to this thing. And as I think about the, the Mike Bunch Memorial, you know, Pastor Brock and I were able to sit with the family and talk through a lot of cool, fun stories, some wild stories, um, some painful stories. And... Pastor Brock was able to officiate and lead that service, and so grateful that he was able to do that. But, but the church family also had a lot more to do for the Bunch and Quarry family than just the service. There was a meal that was provided, so ladies from the church family came together and spent like half the day, more than half the day here serving and making sure it wasn't just food, but it was home-cooked good food, and it was food that we could enjoy. There was also calls, letters, cards that were sent were on their way. There was food and flowers that were sent or taken care of or provided. How we as a church family surround those that are in need, whether it's a fiscal or, or, or physical need or a need of just emotional support. And that's just one example. And I think of where else are we maybe dreaming? Where do we as a church family, what are we doing to make a difference? What are we doing as a church family to support one another, to support our community? I think of our Christ for Life program at the school. I think of the Campus Life program that we're able to, to support that, that Pastor Scott is involved with as well. I think of the ACON or the block party, community events that we can come along and have fun and provide some give backs to the community. I think of the Main Street Fairmount group that is heavily involved. A lot of our church family, there are people involved with that group. I think of people that are here part of the church family that are school staff. I think of people that are part of manufacturing processes. There are people that are part of the church family that are farming and huge into it and need to be. People on the road, people at home, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing as a church family member, we see you. We love you. Thank you for what you're doing. And bring Jesus into it. And what we want to do is, as we've been talking with our leadership here is, is we want to seek more depth as we're doing these things. So as we're doing the egg hunt, what are we doing that makes Jesus known besides maybe somebody finds an empty Easter egg and we say, oh, well, maybe that's a representation of the empty tomb. It is. But, but, and we're not just seeking just that knowledge piece, right? We're looking for that heart piece, that family connection that family connection that maybe we can find, whether it's here or somebody else, somewhere else, find that connection. I had a text exchange this week with somebody in the church family, and I just asked the question. I said, hey, how, are you hanging in there today? How you doing? And that actually launched an exchange of texts back and forth that went throughout the day, and it was back and forth with this person speaking about their desire to remain grounded in their faith, and they're seeing how God is working and through that, they're identifying more blessings that they may have not seen before. 
And they said their goal is to spend more time with the Lord. The Lord is a part of what they're doing. And one of the texts read, I can't lie, I fail there too. Just being obedient and faithful in what I do right now is a beginning. I've led my life up to this point as running hot and cold and to this and that and never being satisfied and always feeling like there's more. I don't know my purpose, but I know I want everlasting life. And they went on to express how they want to keep their expectations clear. God, I'm not in this for whatever you can give me. You've already given me everything I need in Jesus. And they're not expecting blessings, but they desire to develop a relationship with their maker and just be thankful that that's what they have. And a statement that came out of that exchange was I don't, that, that Jesus is not looking for a specific amount of time. He's looking for us. And he desires to put his ideas, he desires to put his paths, his plans, his will, his actions, his ways, his, him, into us. And so again, I ask the question, what has God put in you to do? And how can we as a church family support that, encourage that? And so if there's something in you, tell somebody about it. Turn to a neighbor right now if you want to, I don't care. Ephesians 4, 1 through 5 reads, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in I want to say one more thing and then we'll pray to close. Um, for those that don't know, Tom Seiler is a craftsman. Tom, would you raise your hand just so we can see you? Tom Seiler is a craftsman and he puts together these beautiful, gorgeous, I have no idea how he does it, canoes and water f- devices. There's probably even more than, that was not the right way to say that, but Tom knows what I'm saying. And when you're in a canoe, kind of hard to keep up. It's kind of hard to do it by yourself. And so that visual image of, as a church family, just picture a giant canoe. And then we're all getting in, and we're hoping to row, and we're headed towards a particular place. We're headed towards a specific avenue where Jesus is at. And he's the one setting the cadence. Let's pray. Jesus, as we as a church family are connected, maybe we're new and just checking this thing out. Maybe we've been here for decades, but we're a church family. And thank you that you have brought us together, that we're here today, that we can experience you, and that we know that it's not just in a church building that you're present. But may we take you with us from here, may we be spurred onwards from here to go and to do and to dream. What is it that you've put in us? And may we not shy away, but we seek after progress. Progress of you being evident. Thank you for Indiana Yearly Meeting and the ministry and history that exists there and the ongoing connection that we have. And Lord, as we leave here today, I hope and I pray that we walk away just asking the question, God, what do you have for me? What would you have me do? 
love Jesus. Amen. So we're so glad that you were with us today. You can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or your preferred podcasting app. Be sure to rate us so other people can know about the podcast.